This I Work For Him podcast is brought to you by the Pocket Testament League. Visit ptl.org for practical resources and encouragement to help you share your faith. ptl.org. However you're listening to us today, just know that we always pray for people. We always pray for you, our listeners, ahead of the show, that something we say will always is directed by the Spirit of God. But in my heart, I'm always, like today I wasn't praying out loud, but in my heart I'm praying that something we say today will cause you to just get a hiccup in your spirit, that you'll go, wow, that's an incredible idea. That's something I need to pursue. That's something that should impact my faith in my work. But Martha, we want, before we get to the conversation with Dr. Randy Ross today, we need to ask people to connect with us online. Well, you know what? I want to um, start off by just letting people know that we do have, we're, t- we're talking about a book today. A book. A, bar- a very amazing book. And we do have a copy to give away. So we want people to be ready and have us programmed into their phone, 866-713-9675. That's 866-713-WORK. And if you can't remember that number, you didn't get to write it down, go to our website, iworkforhim.com, our contact page has that number listed there and it's actually a hyperlink Jim so they can actually click on that and it will call the number I mean is there a medication for that easier can it be is there a, a is medication, there medication for, hyperlinks. for hyperlinks okay check us out online I work for him.com that's I work the number for him.com and be ready later on when we say we're gonna give away a copy of the book 866-713-9675-866-713 work for decades maybe even centuries the business motto has been the customer's always right and the customer comes first how's that working for us today not good and not good at all the general market news media has one thing right and it's only marginally right about it Corporate America has become a bastion of wealth creating of wealth creating and people ignoring where the stockholders come before the customers and the employees. That's Jim's opinion. As Jesus followers, we know this is wrong. What's funny is the economists are now coming to their senses and seeing this is wrong as well. When the employees of an organization feel treated like a number, they respond like a prime number. They're lonely as they're they're they are lonely with one as their only ally, and the ability to divide and conquer is destroyed. That was a whole thing on prime numbers, in case you missed that. <laughs> when employees work in an environment where they're genuinely loved and appreciated, the bottom line results are impacted exponentially. So who's talking about this anyway? Will corporate America ever wake up and realize this? Probably not until Jesus followers at the top of widely known companies in the U.S. start leading by loving instead of leading by pressure. How did Jesus bring out the best in his 12 disciples? He loved them unconditionally and showed that firm rebukes with a loving touch, and then he died for them. Are you willing to lead? Are you willing to die? Well, Randy Ross and I talked about his book. We're going to talk today about his book, Relationomics, as Martha and I have a chance to just look at a business powered by relationships. Dr. Randy Ross, welcome back to I Work For Him to talk about Relationomics. Well, it's great to be with you, Jim and Martha. Uh, enjoy being with you before. Looking forward to being able to talk about Relationomics today. Before we get to the book, we always like to ask one deeply personal question. So here's the deeply personal question for the day. At what point in your career did you realize that your faith was desperately needed in your work life? <laughs> well, that was, that was pretty early on. Um, I actually spent the first 20 years of my, my career uh, pastoring churches, both in Texas and in Florida, and encouraged people continuously to, to seek God's best in, in their own lives, but particularly in the workplace, realizing that that's where they spent the majority of their time and energy. And so uh, that connection for me came pretty early. So you actually got it as a pastor that you were equipping them for doing the work, the 95% of their lives that they spent outside of the church. You actually helped equip them for doing that work. Well, not only equip them, 
but then made a transition into the marketplace myself, Jim, which was something that early in my career I never thought I would do. But I realized that the next great wave of spiritual awakening is going to take place in the marketplace, and the greatest place that we as believers can impact the lives of others is in the workforce. And so uh, my my passion is to uh, help people find their passion and their purpose in life, and a lot of that relates to how God designed us and created us to be contributors in the marketplace. Mm. You know, Ken Blanchard opens your book. By the way, congratulations. That's really cool. But he opens the book with a statement, the best leaders know that healthy relationships are the secret to great results and human satisfaction. If that's true, why did you have to write a book about it? It seems simple enough. Couldn't you just add one page? (laughs) Yeah, probably we could because it it seems like common sense, doesn't it? Uh, I mean, we know that people thrive and, and organizations flourish in relationally rich environments, but Unfortunately, practicing the principles that lead to healthy relationships is not not commonplace in the marketplace. It should be, but I think as leaders, we make this vast assumption that if people reach a certain level of uh, chronological maturity, in other words, they're a certain age, that along with that, they've grown to maturity when it comes to building healthy relationships, and that would be a, a mistaken assumption on many fronts. And so the idea of being able to help people build healthier relationships is is critical, and that's what we wanted to try to do in this book, bring people to a place where they begin to understand that their work is a form of worship, and how they work shows what they worship, and at the very center of that work environment uh, needs to be healthy relationships. How they work shows what they worship. You just said that. That's fantastic. No, I appreciate that. That's <laughs> the heart of what we're talking about, because... Here's the thing. God created us to live in community, uh, and we know that to be true from Genesis. You know, and God lives in Trinity, and he created us to have and enjoy fellowship with him. But unfortunately, um, and we talk about this somewhat in the book, although I, I, I will confess right up front that if you have listeners <clears throat> that are believers trying to make an impact in an environment where maybe their faith is not as well embraced, this may be a book that can help them communicate transformational truths, because most of the work that we do, Jim, is in in Fortune 500 companies. And so, although I have a pastoral background, I can't lead with faith. When we go in and we talk, we talk about principles of axiology, which is actually a kissing cousin of theology. But we have to, to couch truths in a way that the marketplace can both embrace and endorse them. And so we don't do that with chapter and verse, but you'll see right away that all the principles that we talk about are deeply biblically rooted, uh, although we don't refer to that. Um, but but truth, as you and I both know, only has one source. That's and right. So as we cast that truth out into the marketplace, it's not going to return void. Hey, we're talking today with Dr. Randy Ross, whose latest book is Relationomics, Business Powered by Relationships. And ladies and gentlemen, this is a great read, a lot of great stories, but just really encouraging. And, and Randy, as you just said, you you it, it's not a book uh, written with theology throughout it. You said axiology. There's a new word I learned today. But really what I would like to call it, this is a plain glass version of truth that comes from God's word, and you're putting it instead of in a stained glass version, you got in a plain glass version. Absolutely, because we want this message to be heralded and embraced in the marketplace. And uh, then subsequently for believers on the heels of you know, sharing this, uh, these principles and these concepts to be able to build a bridge to more significant spiritual conversations. 
Mm. And, and that's what's so great when you're hearing truth and it resonates with us because we know where that truth comes from. Even like you said, if it doesn't list chapter and verse, um, I am, I'm guessing that you have people all along the way that, you know, draw into that. They lean into that and they resonate with the truth that you're sharing. So one of the things that you say is that we can go into any bookstore and find, you know, tons of shelves of books that fall in self-help that area. And, Jim, and remember, first of all, do you really still go to bookstores? I just wondering. Well, sure, because my book is there. You need to sometimes go into a bookstore. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And and Jim's kind of just putting a little salt in wounds because I'm I have a Christian oh, retail God. background. Okay, okay. So anyway, um, so what do you think the lie is in the self help movement that's going on right now? Well, that's a great question, Martha. Um, and I, I think I could probably enter into this conversation by by drawing you back to an, an old Frank and Ernest cartoon. You remember Frank and Ernest? <laughs> Absolutely. They were always you know, single-picture cartoons of these two hobos that traveled together. And I'll never forget one where Frank, while he was pulling his suspenders with pride, said this. He said, well, I guess you could say that I'm a self-made man. To which Ernest replied, well, then that demonstrates the horrors of unskilled labor. and it it kind of puts it into perspective because the reality is the world says you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps make the most of yourself you can do it on your own look out for number one what's in it for me all those kinds of things but the reality is is that we can't grow to maturity apart from relationships maturity by its very definition means how well we play in the sandbox with other people and all of us have areas of our character that have yet to be crystallized. We call them blind spots, right? There are things that other people see about us that we don't see or, or ways that we're perceived that we don't intend to project ourselves in that fashion. And so we need other people speaking truth you know, with grace into our lives, but speaking truth nonetheless in order to point out those areas of our character that we, we still need to, to refine and rub off the rough edges. Here's a great part of this book. You do not have to be running a business to benefit from this book. You could be running a church and benefit this book. You can be running a nonprofit and benefit this book. You can be a middle-level manager and benefit from this book. You could be an HOA president and benefit from this book. In fact, you could be a mom and a dad and benefit from this book. There is so much truth throughout this book. You will benefit from it. Call into the studio line, 866-713-9675. And as at the end of the last segment, Martha, I had to interrupt Dr. Randy Ross. Why don't you reintroduce where he was at? So, Randy, you were telling us that, you know, we often, believe it or not, have blind spots in our lives. <laughs> and so that can sometimes get us into a little bit of trouble. So, so continue that conversation. Well, we need to be engaged in deep relationships with people who, who love us deeply enough to speak the truth into our lives. And we, we all have superficial relationships and acquaintances, but, um, but, but we're rich relationally when we have uh, a, tr- a few very trusted individuals who we walk together with and rub shoulders with, and, and they're, they're willing to run the risk of the relationship to sharpen us as iron sharpens iron and speak truth into our lives. And that's why we spend a great deal of time in the book talking about the need for being able to not only prepare yourself to receive feedback well, because most people don't receive feedback well, but also being able to consistently ask for feedback. Because it's only in feedback that we're ever going to be able to get those nuggets of truth that we need in order to move toward maturity. 
Okay, well, speaking about feedback, it's impossible to get feedback if you're not in community with others. And you say in your book that Adam and Eve were created for community, community with themselves and community with God. Then all of that was lost when sin entered the world. You say then that everyone is born with the desire for enlightenment, that they, they really have this, this emptiness inside. They're constantly trying to fill with something, but enlightenment can't be found outside of community with others. Neither can feedback. So why is it that enlightenment can't be found on my own by reading great books and listening to YouTube videos? Well, it's, it's actually the original lie. It's, it's, it's actually a philosophy called Luciferianism, Jim. And Luciferianism refers back to the story in the Garden of Eden uh, that we find in Genesis where Lucifer approached Eve. Uh, Adam was right there, but he was sitting in the shadows or standing nearby, and, and uh, Satan in the form of a serpent posed this question, did God really tell you that you couldn't touch or eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? And um, Eve gave her response, and he said, you know, that's preposterous, because he knows that in the day that you partake of that fruit, that you'll know all good and all evil. Here's my question. They only knew good. The garden was paradise. It was Eden's. Why in the world would they ever need to know evil? But Mm. here's what Lucifer was actually saying. He was saying, you can become enlightened, and you can have the knowledge or the omniscience of God, self-enlightenment. You can, you can have knowledge, the knowledge of God, apart from a relationship with God. And that was the lie. And that's the lie we still believe today, that we can do it ourselves. We can pull ourselves up by the bootstraps, that we can attain a certain sense of maturity or enlightenment apart from a relationship, because we can't do that interpersonally here on this earth, and we can't do that spiritually without a relationship with God. And and it's sad to see, because you have conversations with people all the time, and they're like, they're just trying to solve their problems on their own, on their own power, and they constantly come up short. And you just try to tell them, listen, the solution is a lot simpler than what you're trying to do. It just is a lot simpler. Uh, and it's it's just a six-letter word, J-E-S-U-S. That's just five-letter J-E-S-U-S. That's five. Why do I always do that? I do the whole time. Well, you're putting an exclamation point at the end. That's what it is. That's what it is. There you go. All right, so... I want to dig deeper. Martha, do you have something you, look, you read like? Yeah. Okay. So I want to dig deeper into this. What does this relationomics really look like? But you capitalize on a list of lies on, on page 39 of your book. So everybody should make a note when you get the book, page 39, of leadership fallacies or false statements that leaders often make. I, I mean, and, and it's the kind of garbage that I have heard and been taught at leadership conferences for decades. And, and yeah. I want to just, I, and th- these are like, they're powerful statements like, it's lonely at the top. You cannot be close to your people and lead them well. I have to keep my personal life and my professional life separate. It's hard to have close relationships at work. I can't let others see my weaknesses. My people don't have to like me to follow me. And then there's so many other ones. Where did this garbage come from? Because it is so untrue, yet it is exactly how leadership is practiced in corporate America today and in, in nonprofit America today and in church America today and in, and in, and in. I mean, it is, it is pervasive in our entire society. Well, it is, and I think it just speaks to the lack of relational maturity. It, it's back to the lie all over again. I mean, if you're a leader and you think it's lonely at the top, I, I'm just here to tell you that you're doing it wrong because mm. it shouldn't be lonely at the top. It shouldn't be lonely anytime if we're living in community. 
And uh, the only way to do that is really to practice the principles that lead to healthy relationships. And so that's why we felt the necessity to write this book. So, so let's talk about then, so why, you know, it seems like a lot of leaders embrace those kind of like badges of honor. Like they, you know, I can't bring my personal life into work and I got to, you know, be this tough person and not have any feelings in my workplace. So um, why, why do we do that? Is it self-preservation? Is it, um, I'm better than you? Why do you think that we think that that is a better approach? Well, both of those plus more, but I think that there are several things that contribute to unhealthy relationships in the marketplace and, frankly, anywhere. Mm-hmm. One of those is uh, an underlying sense of competition. Uh, when we were kids, you know, growing up and playing sports, we were always uh, taught to believe that you had to come out on top, that you've got to be the winner. And so competition, while it's deeply innate within us, it's also ingrained in us by society. But as I speak and share with people all the time, you will always, always garner more through collaboration than you ever will through competition. And we can break that down and talk about that at at quite length. But a lot of times uh, organizations leverage our natural propensity toward competition to elevate performance. The reality is a lot of times it's self-sabotaging. Because when one group begins to compete with another group, you, you create silos within the organization. And why would one group, if they're competing against another group, ever share best practices? Um, mm-hmm. They wouldn't. They want to keep the secret sauce. And so organizations um, challenge themselves all the time by leveraging this unhealthy sense of, of competition. And then just the whole idea of, of self-promotion and self-protection, which also accompanies the spirit of competition because we – we don't feel like we can be authentic or transparent. If people really saw me for who I was. Mm. They may not accept me. Or it's this, this lie, this fear that so many leaders live with, it well, goes like this. If, if they discover that I'm not all I'm supposed to be, then what? Yeah. Okay, so let's, I mean, we just, I mean, I, I listed off some of those things. This is, you know, typical leader uh, will say these things. I can't let others see my weaknesses. My people don't have to like me to follow me. It's hard to have close relationships at work. I have to keep my personal life and my professional life separate. You can't be close to your people and lead them well. Give me an example of a leader today that understands that those are lies and that he can have be real, authentic, transparent, vulnerable as a leader and still be a successful leader. Well, the the marketplace is filled with individuals, and I'm encouraged because I'm seeing more and more and more leaders grow to understand this and begin to walk in healthier ways. But authentic, transparent leaders are the ones that engender trust, and trust is absolutely essential because it's the commodity of leadership. So your best leaders in the marketplace are those who don't lead by fear and by force, but they lead by influence because they set the right example. So they're they're your level five leaders. They're your servant leaders. They're the ones that aren't afraid to show their humanity. And they feel very comfortable uh, walking and leading in a spirit of humility. Uh, they're the ones that, that I think garner the greater fellowship than those who try to self-protect and self-promote. Oh, okay. Well, I want a name. I, I want, okay, just let me be honest. Okay, you, you kind of skated all the way around that, and you answered very nice. I mean, you really just say, "Hey, healthy, you know, people that are going to be great leaders, they've got to, uh, they've got to display authenticity and vulnerability." And, and but there's got to be one person that stands up in your mind. And you're like, "I've seen him, him or her in action. That's what they do." 
Just get, throw a name out. It's okay. It's my broadcast, not yours. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. But here <laughs> at the same time, Jim, I want to, I want to, I help other listeners understand that it's not one or two. And many of the ones that I could list yeah. are not even individuals that you would know. Perfect. I mean, the, the greatest, the greatest uh, prayer warriors that that I know are not people that would readily come to mind to many of your listeners. And so, rather mm-hmm. than throw out specific names. Um, for people to look them up, what I'd rather do is share principles that can apply to everybody. Talking about relationomics, business powered by relationships, a book written by Dr. Randy Ross. This is a book that's transformational. It's a book that describes how anyone who is a leader, which a leader is defined by somebody who has influence over another, that this is all driven by relationships. And when you have a relationship with the people that work underneath you, that that you, whether that would be in a, in a, in a business environment, a church environment, a nonprofit environment, a neighborhood environment, and a homeowners association, whatever it may look like for you to being in charge or over people, that people are valuable. In fact, they're your biggest asset. In fact, they show up on your balance sheet, right? Randy Ross, you talk about the fact that we keep talking about the value of human beings then you bring up this thing in your book called human capital. But yeah, I've never ever seen human capital on a balance sheet. Why? Yeah. Well, I think it's just this lack of understanding of the power that people bring to the organization. It's mm-hmm. fascinating to me, Jim, how much organizations spend in terms of time, energy, and resources on product development, you know, in R and D and then manufacturing and then distribution. And we, we spend a lot of time refining our processes, and, uh, and we even do a lot when it comes to supply chain. But it's amazing to me how little we invest in helping people grow to maturity, especially on this relational front, when all business, bottom line, is powered by people, that your people um, are your brand to the world. And, and how they interact with your clients will determine, uh, basically, your customer loyalty. And so... It, it's, it is fascinating to me that while you can't put it on the balance sheet, here's what I can tell you, that when we put people above profits, the profits will follow. Okay. I love that concept. Say, and of let's course say I, that again. If people people when, above profits, then the profits, profits will, will follow. follow. Again, because simple. Because if you think about it, you, you know, money is a lagging indicator. The productivity of any organization, it just shows what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong. I say this all the time. When you create the right kind of culture and you produce the right kind of connectivity with your client, when you truly make it personal, then people will gladly pay full price for those things that they deem bring true value to life. And there's nothing that brings true value to life more than rich relationships. Again, simple concept. How are, how we've, we've been missing this? Because when you, when you go on to the, uh, any of the, you know, MSNBC, uh, CNBC, uh, Fox Business Channel, you don't hear them talking about human capital. You hear them talking about stock prices, new releases. You hear them talking about, you know, uh, mergers and acquisitions. You don't hear them talking about, you know, we realize that our people are really important. So we decided to train our managers on how to value their people. I've never heard that show. No, no, but unfortunately, that's not there. But but yet it is the most important element in any, any process and strategy when it comes to, to building a business. Well, so let's just talk about that for a minute. How are you then taking this concept of relationomics to um, organizations and, and helping them with their culture? 
Yeah, well, one of the things that I get the privilege to do is to speak at regional and national leadership conferences for organizations of all kinds, and even globally, talking with them about the power of healthy relationships and, and helping them understand how to invest more deeply in their people, whether that be through rich coaching conversations or or helping them navigate conflict within the life of the organization. You know, one of the things that, that depletes energy from any organization is um, uh, underlying unresolved conflict. And, and sometimes we use the term conflict management. I, I hate that term. I mean, who, who wants to manage conflict? I want conflict resolution. Mm-hmm. And conflict resolution, for, for us, we suggest two things in the book. One is what we call rules of engagement. Uh, rules of engagement is a military term that's used, uh, basically coming out of the Geneva Convention and other conventions that simply gives rules and guidelines for how one military force is to enter into and can continue to stay engaged with other military forces in a civilized fashion, if you can say that's even possible in warfare. But the intent is to minimize civilian or collateral damage. In the same way, there are rules of engagement that we should apply interpersonally when it comes to conflict resolution. And if we miss these rules of engagement, then it can be devastating to any work environment um, because it can spread and be more deadly than mustard gas if, if conflicts are not resolved in a healthy fashion. So these rules of engagement, I think, are very powerful. And then a second idea that we introduce in the book is how to have raw conversations. Those are the, the challenging, difficult conversations that are sometimes hard to receive and, and even hard to offer, but they're absolutely necessary for growth and development. So we talk at great length about how do you provide that kind of in-depth coaching conversation in a constructive way. Well, let's let's make that personal for a second, because when you talk about rules of engagement and raw conversation, people are going, really cool names for concepts. Give us some examples of what that is, what that looks like. Give me, give me an example of a raw conversation. Well, can I back into it first? You, let me, let me it, talk about rules. It's about your books. So of course you can. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's talk about the first rule of engagement, Jim. Um, there are five, but I'll just give you the first one. And if we could just adhere to the first one, it would resolve 80 to 90% of all interpersonal conflict in the workforce. And it would reduce drama significantly. And it's, it's stated in the first person, it goes like this. In order to preserve a, a spirit of unity, <clears throat> and here's the, here's the rule of engagement, I commit to you that I will talk to you before I ever talk about you. See, what often happens when there's an offense or there's, you know, call people over to our side, tell our story, and get them to come join hands with us to provide for us the emotional support that we need. But in doing that, there's a word for that. It's called gossip. And whenever there's water cooler conversation or closed door conversation, you know, and we cast aspersions on someone else's uh, character because we tell the story from our point of view, that's gossip. And gossip is deadly. And this isn't, you know, rules of engagement from Randy Ross. This is from straight from Matthew 18. Um, when you realize that you, you have offended a brother or a brother has offended you, leave your gift at the altar and go directly to him. And so it's a concept that's deeply biblically based but it's rarely followed in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is you have all these factions and splintering of relationships because people just don't simply follow some good, strong advice on how to deal with conflict. So that's a great one to start with. I will talk to you before I ever talk about you. 
You know, I was just thinking, um, and we're talking with Dr. Randy Ross, and he has written this book, Relationomics, Business Powered by Relationships. And one of the things that um, Jim was saying was that, you know, you take these, these concepts that can be learned and applied in the workplace, and those same people take them home or take them, I was thinking about this, to the ball field. What if your, your accountant of your corporation is also the little league coach? And he goes and he uses these same principles in teaching the next generation about, you know what, we're not going to, you're not going to talk about them. You're going to go talk to them before you ever talk about them to anybody else. And using those same leadership, isn't that exciting to think that there could be a generation that some of these things are their natural way of leadership down the road. So I, I love how practical they are and the fact that um, they are, they're based on truth and not hard to apply. Um, they're simple, but they might be hard to, to, to start living by. So thank you for sharing that. Well, and Randy, you, you, you quoted, you talked about Vince Lombardi in the book and how his players loved him. Hmm. He, that, that he, but he always started, kept it from the basics, started over from the basics, right from the beginning. And they won championship after championship after championship. And it wasn't necessarily that they were a phenomenal team, but they acted as a team, and they knew that they were loved right from the top. I mean, the, that early Green Bay Packer team, I mean, there's never been another team like it. Yet- well, that's true. And and I think that the, the concept and idea there, Jim, quite frankly, is he kept going back to the fundamentals. It was all about practicing the fundamentals, not until they got it right, but until they couldn't get it wrong. And when you do that, when it comes to relationships, and you don't make this assumption that people know how to do relationships well, then you start from from the bottom and begin to build up. It's such a good one. But but you mentioned in the book that it's really important that we recognize that people are broken. Everybody's broken to some degree. Mm. How, if I as a leader recognize, and that is something I recognize, almost everybody's got some sort of, some level of woundedness inside of them. How does that help me be a better leader when I recognize that everyone has a little bit of brokenness in them, including me? Well, when we recognize that everyone's broken, we, we have some fun at the beginning of the chapter. We're talking about, you know, the scene from Young Frankenstein, if you recall, where Gene Wilder uh, is engaged in this conversation with Igor. Um, and Igor is telling him that he had put this abnormal brain right in this, into this huge mammoth of a creature. <clears throat> Everyone is abnormal. When we scratch beneath the surface, we all have this common trait called brokenness. And, and so when we enter into it with a spirit of humility and understand that we all have room to grow, then that authenticity and transparency can transcend into other relationships and we can move and love people in a spirit of grace. But that also means holding them accountable. Uh, like we said in Remarkable, our first book, you know, a good culture is a place where people believe the best in one another, and so therefore they want the best for one another, mm. and they expect the best from one another. So even when we believe the best in others, it, we also have to uh, firmly establish that with accountability. And so there's this call to humility, but there's also a call to accountability. When these leaders, I love the idea, accountability is such a powerful thing, but unfortunately in a lot of organizations, they struggle with accountability going up. A lot of times the accountability only goes one direction. 
And, and when you can create an organization where it's health, where it's okay to hold leaders accountable at the same time as as followers accountable, even though everybody leads to a certain point, what does an organization start to look like when the leaders, when a leader starts to lead hmm. with the willingness to be held accountable and an openness to people underneath them to be able to call them out? What does that look like really quick? Yeah, so that's a big one. And we may have to go into that in the next section segment. But here, here's the, the point. I ask leaders all the time, how often do you give performance reviews? And then, you know, it varies. But all leaders give performance reviews to their direct reports. And then I turn around and ask this. How often do you ask your direct reports to give you an evaluation and, and give you feedback on your performance? And, mm-hmm. and oftentimes leaders look with a blank stare because many have never done that. Because they assume, like you're saying, it's a top-down sort of a thing. But when we can, in organizational life, create open loops of continuous feedback, meaning that we seek feedback from everyone around us, above us, below us, we're constantly engaged in asking other people, hey, how am I doing? What's it like for you to be on the other side of me? We're talking today with Dr. Randy Ross, the founder of Remarkable. You can check them out online, createremarkable.com, createremarkable.com. If you've got an organization that you want turned right side up, createremarkable.com. And Dr. Randy Ross is your solution, guaranteed. Because if he teaches you things like the things that came out of his book, Remarkable, or Relationomics, your organization will be phenomenal. You can also check him out online, drrandyross.com, drrandyross.com. Okay. But this, understand, listeners, this book is a book you can give to anybody, Jesus follower or not. It is a plain glass version of the truth of God without the scripture quotations. But it's truth, and all truth comes from God. And it is a book that really presents the amazing truth and the value of people to people who are in leadership in a way that I've very rarely ever seen put before. So I'd like to encourage you to get it. In fact, we're going to give away a copy today. And I just want to say to our listeners that... I thought you were going to get the phone number. Oh, I can do that. Okay. I want to say to the listeners, the phone number is 866-713-9675. That's 866-713-WORK. And remember, it's also on our contact page on our website. So look it up there if you can't remember it. So what I wanted to say is just that, you know, you may not be the leader of the organization. You may not be the one in charge of the HR department. You may not be feeling that you have the um, imp- the influence. But I want to just encourage people, read it for yourself and see what you can do and then who you can share it with. Because we all, everyone has influence over someone. Absolutely. And that we have that relationship. And that's how this applies. Dr. Randy Ross, I asked you the question before the end of the last segment uh, about, you know, so often accountability is from the top down, never from the bottom up. Yet in all healthy environments, in all healthy organizational environments, feedback has to be circular. It's got to be 360. As you put it, open loops of continuous feedback. Hmm. Just finish up your thoughts on that as, as I interrupted you because we had to go to break. This is something that can really change. The, I mean, really vault an organization to a whole nother level, isn't it? Well, I think it certainly is, Jim, because as we are able to effectively create these open loops of continuous feedback, then an organization really becomes uh, self-coaching and self-policing, 
meaning that it doesn't have to be heavy-handed because colleagues can talk with one another and they can hold each other accountable when we're all committed to the same values. And so we do a lot in the book about coaching conversations. You know, raw conversations is one form of that, but there are other forms of coaching conversations. There's a complimentary conversation, coaching conversation when you affirm people. There's a, a curious conversation when you're not sure about the, the facts and the details, but you're just exploring. There's a concerned conversation when you feel like things are sliding sideways and, and you need to take action. And there's a corrective type of conversation. But whenever we can have those kinds of healthy, meaty conversations in organizational life at all levels and in all directions, then organizations do become self-coaching, and they coach each other up. It's sort of like on the field of play, all the athletes talking together to make sure that everybody is covering their assignments effectively in order to move the ball down the field. It's just the simplicity of what you're trying to communicate is astounding. The complexity of the execution is still not there. I mean, it's still fairly simple to execute, yet what is it when you work with leaders of organizations, what is the resistance? When you tell them, I mean, you quote a lady in, in, a lady leader in your book, and she says to you her secret to lead people effectively, you have to love them deeply. That's right. And, and, I, and I know for a fact, I have never had anybody tell me they got that course in an MBA program. So when you tell a leader that line, to lead people effectively, you have to love them deeply, what's the response you typically get when you talk about, I mean, that's, that's kind of radical stuff. Yeah, well, love is such an overused, misunderstood word. Yeah. But Jesus made it very, very clear. But in the marketplace, you know, we have to lead with love. And what that means is that we're constantly seeking to understand how we can better serve other people. And there's certain things that we can share. And we highlight several of these in the book. But first and foremost, we share our time with others. And it's one of our most valuable commodities. So we have to be careful how we invest and in whom we invest. But we share our time. In addition to that, we share our support. Our encouragement, you know, our our um, our direction. We, we share our relationships because most people are only a, an introduction or two away from success to be able to connect with the right people. We share our knowledge because we've got certain life experiences and skill sets that we can impart to others. And I think it's important that we share our story too, not just the not just the Facebook side of life, you know, the, the highlights, but I mean, our, our failures, our challenges, our struggles, because people can learn from those as well. And then it's important we share our appreciation uh, with others for a job well done. And all of that, you know, rolled together is how we love people deeply. But I think leaders have to understand this, Jim, that when people decide whether or not they're going to follow them, there are three questions that, that someone asks before they choose to follow someone. And they're not spoken, but they're definitely processed. The first one is, can I trust this person? And so a lot of this is precipitated on a, on a deep level of trust. Is this person going to do what's right no matter what? The second question is, is this person competent and can I count on them? Will, will they follow through on the commitments that they make? And then lastly, does this person have my best interest at heart? And when people know that we, we are people that can be trusted, that we are dependable, we're competent, we are capable of getting it done, and lastly, that we have their best interest at heart, I think that's the key to demonstrating love is that we have someone else's best interest at heart. All right. So there are examples of companies out there where this has been practiced. And I'm not going to ask you for any names because I've been significantly uh, unsuccessful at getting you to you know call anybody <laughs> out. 
but can you give me an example of of just of show uh, tell our listeners how this is being put into action give think of one company in mind and and the impact on the company mm-hmm. from where they were before they started to put relationomics into action and and what it looks like today oh man well let's just take one that everybody's probably familiar with and and that's a little organization based here in Atlanta that sells chicken sandwiches. Um, the the co-author of the first book, relate uh, excuse me, remarkable, was the vice president of marketing there at Chick Fil A. But but Truett Cathy founded Chick Fil A on this whole idea of healthy relationships. Um, as a matter of fact, he was fond of saying, "The more personal you make it, the more impactful it will become." And he mm. was always striving to um, to serve others. It was always creating value for other people. As a matter of fact, at some very strategic times in the life of the organization, when they were still young, he, he would consistently say, if we make it better, our customers will insist that it be bigger. And so his focus was never on growing large or making more money. It was always on taking care of the people, both internally and externally. And consequently, they've developed what I consider to be one of the best cultures that you can find anywhere. And now there are a lot of other organizations that have seen the impact of that. You're talking about the bottom line of the balance sheet. Well, Chick-fil-A is wildly successful, privately held, debt-free, pressing close to $10 billion in annual sales. I'd say that's pretty successful. But it was all founded on this whole idea that if you treat people well and you put profits, uh, if you put people above profits, that the profits will follow. Yet, one of the biggest challenges you see in an organization, as you mentioned, Chick-fil-A and maybe some other big organizations where this has been executed, is getting it to carry on to the second and third generations. Because it's one thing when you have a charismatic leader at the top that infuses the organization from the get-go. But now you've got an organization that's a $10 billion organization with stores scattered from sea to shining sea. How do you how do you see that? What's the challenge look like when you try to get that to go to the next generations mm-hmm. to make sure that this isn't lost on the next generations? Well, I think the key to that is that it's not driven by personality. It's driven by principles. Mm-hmm. And so even though Truett was a phenomenal man and a great statesman, it was the values that he established the organization on and that subsequently those who join the organization are likewise committed to. It's a concept we call value centricity. When my values align with the values of the organization, then value centricity is created and great things can take place because you create a conduit through which energy can flow. Okay. I think sometimes you know, organizations miss it because they're, they don't have an alignment of values. And sometimes organizations are led by personalities, and that's problematic. Uh, we've got to get back to foundational principles that, that drive profitability and higher performance. Okay, you got 30 seconds. Speak to the listener who's not at the top, but yet they want to start making an impact in the organization. Can they do it, and how do they do it really easily? Influence can come from any direction within the life of the organization. When you apply specific transformational principles to make an impact on, on other people's lives in a positive way, you can leave a positive wake. Excellent. Dr. Randy Ross, I mean, there's so much more in the book we could have covered, but it's just a great teaser to be able to get people to go, I got to go get that book, Relationomics, Business Powered by Relationships. But it's not just for business people. It's for everyone who's in an organization. Relationomics, Business Powered by Relationships. You can check them out online, drrandyross.com, drrandyross.com. Dr. Randy Ross, thank you for being an I Work For Him today. 
It's always a pleasure to be with you and Martha. And thanks, Jim, for the opportunity. Thank you. Check him out online, drrandyross.com, drrandyross.com. You've been listening to I Work Room with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace definitely is our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work, work for, for him. him.